So now, happy Boxing Day. This day, December 26th, is a special day in my country, in Canada. As a matter of fact, it's a special day in every English-speaking country in the world except the United States. Every one of us uh, celebrates Boxing Day, except for the U.S., so it's time to catch up with the rest of the world a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about this day because I keep getting asked questions about Boxing Day by Americans, and I'm just going to hand them off to you now and say, well, anybody in my church can tell you what Boxing Day all, is all about. Um, it really is a great tradition. Uh, we'll work on the metric system another time, so you can catch up on that as well. But we're going to stick with Boxing Day for today and just learn this one. The origin of Boxing Day goes back about eight centuries to the Middle Ages. In churches throughout England, money boxes were placed near the entrances of the churches to collect offerings that were tied to the Feast of St. Stephen. And this is the same Stephen that we read about in the scriptures, the one who was stoned to death for his faith. Uh, Stephen asked God to forgive those who were killing him, and it's this generosity of heart that led to a remembrance of Stephen in that feast. The boxes that they used to collect the money were metal boxes that were originally used by Roman soldiers for holding the winnings from their gambling. And so some traditions hold that the reason those boxes were used was to remember the crucifixion of Christ when the soldiers gambled for his clothing. Others say that they were just plentiful and inexpensive boxes, which they were, and so they were chosen for practical reasons. Whatever the case... Church members were asked to put offerings or alms in those boxes to help out those in their midst who needed assistance financially. And whatever was collected was distributed according to people's needs. That version of the traditional origin of Boxing Day doesn't actually tie Boxing Day to Christmas. That came later. There were other traditions that brought the remembrance of St. Stephen into the Christmas season. In the Middle Ages, on Christmas Day... Mobs of common people would visit the homes of the wealthy, demanding food and drink from them. The wealthy would have their servants hand out things to those less fortunate, and as a way of thanking their servants, the elite would give them boxes filled with cloth, leather goods, and food. Now, most don't think that this was the actual origin of Boxing Day, but that it could have added to the tradition. But out of that practice came the tradition of employees bringing boxes to work on December 26th for their employers to fill with Christmas bonuses. And that led to the practice of giving Christmas bonuses that many of us benefit from today. So then later, Queen Victoria and her family gave Boxing Day its current look. It became a recognized holiday when the upper class was expected to share with the poor. And from there, it became a part of the Christmas season and Boxing Day is even a banking holiday and a holiday for many businesses and so on. Now, the exact origin has never been as important as the spirit of the tradition. Uh, out of the abundance of the Christmas season has come a generosity that's been a blessing to many, many people over the ages. So happy Boxing Day. And uh, guess what? We're going to practice this tradition today. Today is Caring Fun Sunday, which makes sense. Today is the Sunday of the month. When we give out of our abundance, we give so that Chapel Hill can respond to those within our own church family who have financial needs. And it has been an honor to be able to respond in this way, especially considering the economic climate of the day. People all around us have needs. 
and we have been able to respond to the tune of over $14,000 in 2010. So praise God for that, and thank you very much for your generosity towards the Caring Fund. It's been a blessing. But the fund is getting low. So today I want to encourage you not to forget the Caring Fund and its purpose. Uh, At the end of the service, there will be ushers by the back doors, and that will be an opportunity for you to give generously towards recharging the Caring Fund. Let's give out of the abundance that God's given us so that we as a church can respond appropriately to the needs within our own family. Uh, Write another check besides your regular tithe. Dig into your purse or your wallet and see what God has placed there for you to give this morning. This is Boxing Day, so let's be Canadian for a day and respond to this opportunity. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I want to say thank you so much for this Christmas season. Thank you for the wonderful celebration yesterday, uh, the time to be with family and friends and to, to pause for such a, a tremendous reason, to pause to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to, to take care of each other in this family. Thank you for the caring fund. Thank you for the generosity of all those who gave throughout 2010 uh, to make this such a, a vital ministry here at Chapel Hill Church. And I pray that we would, we would always have enough that we're able to share with those that are in need and, uh, and respond to what we see around us. And Father, I just want to praise you for what you did in the lives of four individuals on Christmas Eve. Thank you so much for reaching into their hearts and touching them with this story. Thank you for the many, many visitors that we had Christmas Eve and the opportunity that they had to hear the message of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and for how you moved in those lives. And Father, I just ask for each one of those individuals that they would now begin uh, a journey with you uh, that will take them to just wonderful places, uh, an experience that uh, will alter their lives forever. Um, Give them everything that they need. um, Help them to know what the next steps are. Help them to find a a community uh, like this that they can connect to and grow within and flourish within. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you are here with us and we can now look back and look forward knowing that you are here and that you are great and almighty. Thank you so much for your presence here this morning. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's your question for the morning. What has this Christmas season told you about yourself? What has this Christmas season told you about yourself? What have you heard as a result of the past month and all the, ex, uh, the, the preparations, the plans, the details of the Christmas season? What has your celebration or recognition of the reason for Christmas resulted in when you look back and evaluate a bit? Well, maybe you haven't looked back. Maybe you haven't evaluated, and I encourage you to do that now. Look back at the season. What do you remember right away? What stands out to you? What are you feeling? What are you processing? I want you to think about that this morning. And as you look back, do you find yourself to have been too busy, too tired, too short-tempered, too cynical, too disconnected, too self-sufficient, too self-indulged, maybe too judgmental? Maybe you're getting a positive reaction. You can see yourself as generous, well-loved, a good provider, maybe stronger than you thought. What about this past year? What about 2010? 
As you reflect on the past year, you can probably hear a lot of feedback, some positive, some negative. There are many sources of feedback in our lives, many voices. So which ones are we listening to? Which ones are we listening to? I listen to myself a lot. My self is not very kind. He quickly reminds me that I spread myself too thin again this year. He reminds me that I was too tired, that I didn't invest enough energy in my family. My less than encouraging self points out that I didn't perform up to my expectations once again. I could have done more. I could have given more. I could have served more. I could have performed better. There are many loud voices around. The voice of the media tells us what we're to think. Uh, Christmas was, maybe more than any previous year, another battlefield of perspectives and opinions. According to the media, I am very narrow-minded and intolerant. There was an article in the the paper just weeks before Christmas, um, a harmless article. We weren't looking for an editorial. All we were looking for was a listing of upcoming TV Christmas specials that our boys might enjoy watching. And so here's what we found. Uh, Rather than just report on what's airing, this journalist decided to add this invaluable perspective. I personally don't need to hear Linus recite from the Gospel of Luke for another decade, but I'd be a real Scrooge if I didn't remind you more sentimental angels that 1965's A Charlie Brown Christmas returns for its annual airing. Those looking for some fresh fodder will be pleased to know that the hour also includes the short prep and landing Operation Secret Santa. And one of the only kids' Christmas specials that actually presents the real meaning of Christmas has become a target of hostility now. It was interesting, a few weeks later, just before Christmas, there was another article in the same paper um, about that very special And uh, there were some words from uh, interviews with Charles Schultz, the creator of the Charlie Brown series. And he was asked, why did you put the scriptures in your Charlie Brown Christmas special? You know what his response was? Well, if we didn't do it, who would? Even some of the liberal media has recognized the absurdity of it all. Far from being a conservative show by anyone's standards, 30 Rock made an, internet, an intentional statement by having their characters wish each other a Merry Christmas on their Christmas episode. Uh, what's happening is ludicrous, and even they saw it. One moment we're being screamed at to be tolerant, and a minute later we're being screamed at because we're Christians. But sadly, this voice has won the ears of many Christian institutions and individuals, and we hasten our slide down the dangerous slope of accommodation. But that's just one voice. The voice of society is making itself heard as well, but in a different way. It's the voice of conformity, and its message is overload. There were some interesting predictions made about the era that we live in right now. Back in 1967, experts predicted that by the turn of the century... Technology would have taken over so much of the work that we do that the average American work week would be only 22 hours long and that we would work only 27 weeks a year. As a result, one of our biggest problems would be deciding what to do with all our leisure time. It's funny how these predictions are. I think one of the characteristic defining terms of our society today 
would have to be overload. In 1998, a doctor named Richard Swenson wrote a book called The Overload Syndrome. That was 12 years ago. Have things improved since then? No. Well, only if you're looking to write a sequel to the book called The Overload Syndrome. But things are getting worse. We're overloaded with commitment. We commit ourselves to take part in any number of activities and social functions. How many good, worthwhile things have we turned down this past year simply because we were too busy? And sadly, in hindsight, we would have traded any one of those commitments to be a part of something worthwhile. But we're too committed to our activities. We're overloaded with possessions. Our garages and storage units own a significant share of our time and put a high demand on us to manage and maintain. We've become overloaded with debt as a result, and now it's getting harder and harder to get out. We're overloaded with work. The combined hours we put into the commute in the workplace can tap us of all our energy, which is far too often poured into making someone else look good and make more money. We're overloaded with information. We feel this obligation to have more and more access to information. And pretty soon it's so much that very little of it has any meaning to us or to those that we impact. We're overloaded with media. We're overloaded with the expectations of ourselves and others and on the list goes. And that voice at the end of the year says, you didn't get enough. You need more. Slowing down goes against the American dream and you don't want to go against the dream, do you? We just want to break but the mass that we're in keeps moving and so we allow ourselves to be carried along by the wave of society. Commitments replace commitment. We can't give anything, no matter how important the attention that it deserves. We're just too busy and that statement of defeat, I'm too busy, becomes a thing that we have in common with the most people. So we just accept our place in the masses. But we have a safe haven in the church, don't we? Well, that's where another loud voice opens its mouth. It's the voice of our religious conscience. We must perform. I want you to answer a few questions in your minds right now. I want you to be painfully honest. This is how Charles Swindoll sets up his book called Simple Faith. Do you have a childlike trust in God? Are you comfortable with your prayer life? In a sentence or two, can you explain what it means to be a Christian? Does the word satisfied describe your feelings about your walk with Christ? Is peace the true condition of your inner being? Are you truly liberated from others' expectations? Have you been able to maintain a relaxed, contented, and joyful lifestyle in the midst of life's accelerated pace? If you were unable to attend your church for several Sundays, would you feel comfortable, mildly uneasy, or guilt-ridden? Do you think the Bible can be understood by people who have not been to a Christian college or seminary? Can a person who is not a missionary be as spiritual as one who is? When you sin, do you know how to find forgiveness and continue on in your Christian life? Are these things that just mess with your mind and then cause you considerable stress because maybe you can't answer some of them the way you know you should be able to? Then there's these issues. Are you spending enough time in prayer every day? Are you reading enough scripture every day? Are you serving enough? Are you giving enough? Are you attending enough? Are you doing enough? In many cases, the Christian life has gotten too complicated. So we feel like failures for not being able to pull it off. And there comes the guilt. 
Is that what God has intended for us? No, not at all. Jesus knew all about the pressure of religious performance, not because he felt that pressure himself, but, but because he lived in an age when the people all around him were giving in to that pressure. As if the load of the Old Testament law was not enough, the teachers of the law were constantly adding more laws that had to be followed. And in mass, people were giving up under the pressure. They couldn't take it. They couldn't do it. Pressure, complication, obligation, expectation all come in. And out go things like peace, joy, rest, abiding. It's a loud voice. How do you think God feels about our frenzied pace and the pressures that we give into? Our walk with God doesn't look much like what the psalmist described with the green pastures, still waters, and the restoration of our souls. Even with the presence of the valley of the shadow of death, there was still no fear. There was only comfort. Instead, our walk looks more like that show Wipeout. It's a ruthless obstacle course with things coming at us constantly, all looking to knock us off our path toward our destination. Or it's like an exhausting marathon, a battle of mind over matter, will over weariness. That's not what our shepherd has in mind for us. There's a story told about a man at the Los Angeles International Airport who was worried about missing his plane He had no watch or cell phone and couldn't see a clock, so he walks up to a total stranger and he asks, can you tell me the time, please? The stranger smiled and said, sure. He set down the two large suitcases he was carrying and looked at at the watch on his wrist. It is exactly 5.09. The temperature outside is 73 degrees and it's supposed to rain tonight. In London, the sky is clear and the temperature is 28 degrees Celsius. That's pleasantly warm, by the way. The barometer reading there is 29.14 and falling. And let's see, in Singapore, the sun is shining brightly. And oh, by the way, the moon should be full tonight here in Los Angeles. And your watch tells you all that, the man interrupted. Oh, yes, and much more. You see, I invented this watch, and I can assure you there is no other timepiece like it in the world. I want to buy that watch. I'll give you $2,000 for it right now. No, no, it's not for sale, said the stranger as he reached down to pick up his suitcases. Wait, $4,000. I'll pay you $4,000 cash, offered the man, reaching for his wallet. No, I, I can't sell it. You see, I plan to give it to my son for his 25th birthday. I invented it for him to enjoy. Okay, listen, I'll give you $10,000. I've got the money right here. The stranger paused. 10000 Well, Okay. It's yours for 10000 The man was absolutely elated. He paid the stranger, took the watch, snapped it on his wrist with great satisfaction, and said thanks as he turned to leave. Wait, said the stranger. With a big smile, he handed the two heavy suitcases to the man and added, don't forget the batteries. <laughs> this is what happens to our Christian walk when we listen to the wrong voices. Life becomes burdensome, exhausting, and presses us down. Soon the burden overshadows the treasure that is the life that we've been called to. Jesus came into a world full of people sharing that same experience. There were voices all around them giving them scathing evaluations of how they were doing at life. They weren't thinking the right things. They weren't doing the right things. They weren't performing up to religious expectations. 
Now here comes a man of virtually no reputation with a message too simple to give credibility to. And essentially he asks them, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from the baggage? Do you want to be free from the expectations? Do you want to be free from the burden? Do you want to be free from the tyranny? Then take my yoke, my work upon you. My burden is easy. My load is light. Right from the start, he simplified. And in that simplifying, there was liberation. In that simplifying, there was release. In that simplifying, things got quiet. See, Jesus gave us the starting point for that freedom. He spoke. The red letters in our Bibles began to appear. And a distinction was made. That distinction is the key to sorting out the influential voices in our lives. And it's found in John chapter 10. Beginning at verse 22, this is what happened. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, who were there, gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So he was driving the Jews crazy at this point. Everything he was saying from, was very different from what they were teaching. He was simplifying. He was talking about things like forgiveness and life that came through him, not the law. They were ready to kill him, and they pressed him to tell them who he was. This is how he answered. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And for these words, they tried again to stone him to death. But did you catch the key phrase in verse 20, 27? It said this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The voice of Jesus Christ is the voice that we are to listen to if we expect to find our walk with him to be all that it was intended to be. The life he gives comes to those who listen to his voice. We were not created to live lives that are the same as those around us, but a little better because we're Christians. We were created to live lives that are set apart, that rise above, that transcend what we see around us. And what we see around us are lives that have fallen victim to the voices that press them down. I'm going to ask you to do something in the week ahead. Many of you have time on your hands. Thanks to the holidays, you get a little break from life for a while. We've got at least a little more time than usual, most of us. But any of us can find 15 to 20 minutes to just sit down and read something. So do this before the year runs out. Find a quiet place and listen to your shepherd. Listen to Jesus. We should know his voice. 
And if you're having a hard time picking it up, start by doing this. In that 15 to 20 minutes, read through Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know what that is. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of his most famous presentations. And do you know how his audience, when he finished that, do you know how they responded to him? Two things. First of all, they were amazed, it says. They were amazed by what they heard. I don't know about you, but I don't really get amazed when I hear the voices of our media or society or my religious conscience talking to me. Secondly, they followed him. They followed him. They knew that he was their shepherd. They knew his voice and they followed him. Listen to the voice of your shepherd. As you look back at the previous year, as you look back at the Christmas season, block out all the other voices and listen to just one, the voice of Jesus Christ and his only. He's got a lot to say to you. It may not always be easy what he says, but it will always be right. Listen to the voice of your shepherd. Listen to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that there was a point when performance ceased to become the thing that determined our righteousness, our standing with you. I thank you that there was a point when Jesus entered the picture and changed everything. And I ask, Father, that as we look back we are able to do exactly what Jesus said as his sheep we listen to his voice and his voice alone there is so much speaking to us from the previous year and I know that it's not always positive sometimes it's mostly negative in our heads and we listen to a lot of criticism But God, I ask that you would help each one of us to block all that out and focus in solely on the voice of our shepherd where we'll hear truth. And while that truth may not be easy, it'll always be right. It'll always lead to us being on the path that you created for us. I want to thank you, Father, for 2010. It was a great year. It was a great year for us as a church. You proved your faithfulness over and over and over again. And we're so grateful that you never turned your back on us. You never took your hand off of us. You always provided. You always guided. We knew that you were there every step of the way. Thank you for those who have become a part of this family in the last year pray that they would just find this to be a, a long-term home where their needs are met. They know that they're loved and cared for and accepted. Thank you for everyone who gave this year to meet our expenses and, and reach out in so many ways through our missions, our caring fund, all these different ways that we've been able to have an impact on the world around us. Thank you for your faithfulness day in, day out to us as a church, and to us as individuals. Help us now to learn to listen better just to your voice.
and discover what you have for us as we look back at 2010. Thank you that as we come now to give, we know that we give and it will be blessed by you. We ask that you would take these offerings and tithes and use them to expand the ministry here at Chapel Hill to further the impact that we have on the world around us as we bring them this tremendous message that we've been celebrating, the message of the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, and the difference that his life makes. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.